I think I could hear that every Sunday. It's just one of my very favorite pieces of music. Well, I hear people often talking about a worldview. And sometimes Christians will say, well, we need to have a biblical worldview. Or someone who is not a Christian might say, well, we actually need a secular worldview because we are a secular society. But what is a worldview? What are we talking about when we speak about having a worldview? I looked it up on Wikipedia, and it says it is the framework of ideas and beliefs through which an individual interprets the world and interacts with it. So a worldview, then, is the lens through which we view the world and the interpretation we give to it. It seems to me that there are two basic worldviews. There is a God-centered worldview, and there is a man-centered worldview. Some years ago, Robert Schuller wrote a book titled Self-Esteem, the New Reformation, in which he promoted a man-centered theology or a man-centered worldview. He wrote in that book, it is precisely at this point that classical theology has erred in its insistence that theology be God-centered and not man-centered. Now, as I read that and I think about it, so much of our religion actually is a man-centered religion. We have in our theology a man-centered theology. For instance, I, I was thinking about prayer. How much of my prayer is focused on man or focused on myself? For instance, so often when I pray, I am spending the time asking God to do this, to do that, to intervene here, to intervene there, to provide here, to provide there. So what I am doing is asking God to do something for me, which I'm not saying at all is wrong. We are supposed to do that. But as I examine my own prayers, it seems to me that oftentimes, even in my prayer, that they become very man-centered. As a matter of fact, our worship has so deteriorated in the Christian church today that it is centered on man, not on God. I know of many people who say, well, I have left thus and such church, or I am leaving my church because I don't like the music. Well, folks, that's man-centered. It is what I like, not what is pleasing to God. Even in our finances, we are very man-centered because we see ourselves as owners. Now, so there is a man-centered theology, and then there is a God-centered theology, which is the opposite. For instance, in prayer. If our theology is God-centered, then I believe our prayers are focused on God. The model prayer, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about the model prayer that Jesus gave us, and so much of that prayer is focused on God, not on us. Our worship. If our worship is God-centered, then it is what pleases God, not what pleases me. 
We do a terrible disservice in our worship when we think we have to approve everything that goes on. Folks, the only thing that is important is, does God approve it? Because worship is about Him. And if we have a God-centered theology, that also is reflected in our finances because we see then that God is the owner of everything and I am simply a what? Thank you. I am a steward. A steward manages that that belongs to someone else. So then I am not the owner. I am the steward of that that belongs to God, if my theology is God-centered. So I want to speak to you about a worldview today. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 81, beginning in verse number 1. Sing for joy to God our strength. Shout joyfully to the God of Jacob. Raise a song, strike the timbrel. The sweet-sounding lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, an ordinance of the God of Jacob. He established it for a testimony in Joseph when he went throughout the land of Egypt. I heard a language that I did not know. I relieved his shoulder of the burden. His hands were freed from the basket. You called in trouble and I rescued you. I answered you in the hiding place of thunder. I proved you at the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you. O Israel, if you would listen to me, let there be no strange God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. I, the Lord, am your God, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. Now, as I look at these verses, the three, the first three verses in our text focuses on a God-centered worship. And he says, first of all, that God is our strength. Look at verse 1. Sing, O for joy, to God our strength. You see, what David is saying here is that God was the strength of Israel. Matthew Henry wrote, He is the strength of Israel as a people. For He is a God in covenant with them who will powerfully protect, support, and deliver them. Now, it is my personal belief the existence of Israel today is simply a testimony of that covenant that God has with His people. The reason they exist is because of that covenant relationship that God has. But what he is saying in that verse of Scripture is that Israel is to recognize that God is their strength. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if God is the strength of Israel, is He not also the strength of believers? Is He not our strength? You see, the Lord has called us, for instance, to serve. The Bible tells us that after we are saved, that we are supposed to serve. God strengthens us to serve. Now, the way He does that is to give us certain spiritual gifts. And if we serve within the area of our giftedness, then we have strength. If we try to serve outside our area of giftedness, then we burn out. You know one of the surprises to me about life? At this stage of my life, I am probably at least as excited as I have ever been about the Word of God and about serving Him. Why? Why? 
because I believe that I am serving in the area of his giftedness. This is how God has gifted me. You see, what he is saying is that God is our strength. God has given to you certain spiritual gifts, and if you serve within the area of your giftedness, then you have His strength. He also gives us strength to go through times of suffering without being overwhelmed by them. Whenever we go through times of illness or tragedy, God gives us the strength to go through without being overwhelmed. I'm amazed at some of you and the things that you are facing in life and you have faced in life and the strength that God has given to you. When we are called upon to walk through the valley of the shadow of death with, one, with our loved one, with a husband, with a wife, with someone who is special to us, and we are able to go through and have the sweet spirit of Jesus in our lives, that is the strength that comes from the Lord. When there are relationships in our lives that are broken, they are not what we expected them to be, they are a disappointment to us, and yet we are able to keep on. Why? Because of the strength of God. That's what he's saying. See, God gives us strength. He says God is our strength. And then the Bible says that God is our praise. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 21, He is your praise. And He is your God who has done these great and awesome things for you, which your eyes have seen. Matthew Henry wrote it, wrote, Praising God is not only a good thing, which we do well to do, but it is our indispensable duty, which we are obliged to do. Would you agree with me? that if we did more praising, we would do less whining? I think so. I think if we praised more, we would whine less. And here he talks about the instruments of praise in verse number 2 and 3. Raise a song, strike the timbrel, the sweet-sounding lyre with the harp. All right, how do we praise the Lord? Well, he says, with song. Friday, I had the opportunity of being with uh, Steve at a conference in Spartanburg. There were about 1,200 ministers of music and so forth from around the country there. And uh, we were in the sanctuary when they were singing, and I listened to them as they sang their songs. I thought, oh, what wonderful praise. As I listened to you sing, praises to God with your song. If folks... Understand that music, that song, is supposed to be about praising God. You remember when, when the people of, of Israel were freed from Egyptian bondage and God parted the Red Sea and they went across the, the Jordan and they came to the other side? Do you remember the first thing they did? Now, that was a question. Anybody remember what they did? What did they do? They sang a song. In fact, the Bible says in Exodus 15, 12, this is when they got to the other side. I will sing to the Lord, for He has highly exalted the horse and His rider He has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. How do we praise the Lord? We praise Him with song. Praise Him with song. And then he goes on and says the timbrel. Now, that we call that a tambourine. We don't have a tambourine up here, do we? Do we have? 
But we need a tambourine player. But that's what that means. It's a tambourine song. So we praise Him with song. We play, praise Him with the timbrel and the harp and, and the trumpet. So there is an orchestra that is used to praise the Lord. And then He tells us how. He gives us instruction as to how to praise Him. He says, first of all, look up. Verse 4, For it is a statute for Israel, an ordinance of the God of Jacob. Folks, praise comes when we look up and see God. When we look up and say, how can you not praise if you get a glimpse of majesty? How can you not praise if you see a glimpse of His glory? And so what He says then is that we praise Him with this great orchestra. He says, but we look up and we see God. And then He says, we look back and we remember verse number 5. He established it for a testimony in Joseph when he went throughout the land of Egypt. I heard a language that I did not know. So we look back then to remember his provision, his protection, his blessings. on Do you want to praise the Lord? He says, then look up. Get a glimpse of God. And then look back and remember how he has provided. That's what the Passover was. It was a a remembrance. It was a time to look back and to remember the Jewish people, to remember how God had delivered them. That's what the Lord's Supper is. It, It is a time for us to look back, to remember how Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sin. So we remember God's faithfulness of yesterday, God's centered worship. When our worship is God centered, We understand that He is our strength and He gives us all the strength we need. He is our praise and we praise Him. However, our tendency is to make our relationship with God man-centered. I guess we're a little like the deists who believe that God created the world. He put it in motion and then God withdrew. But God has not withdrawn from man. He is involved with us. He communicates with us. And it's really interesting if you want to go through the Bible sometimes and just note how differently God communicates with different people. He doesn't do it the same way. See, that's where we get in trouble when we think everybody has to do it the way I do it. God communicates in many different ways. For instance, when he was communicating with Noah, what did he do? He put a rainbow in the sky. Said so this is a this is a picture, this is a reminder of my promise to you. Did he give anybody else a rainbow? Just Noah. When he communicated with uh, with Moses, how did he do it? Through a burning bush. Did he communicate with anybody else with a burning bush? With the Jews, he provided a sacrificial system that was a way of communicating with him. The point is, is that he personalizes his communication so that we can understand. God doesn't just want to talk. He wants us to understand what He's saying. So He communicates with us differently because we are different. There are some people, God has communicated with them through visions. There was Daniel and Ezekiel and so forth. God communicated. I doubt very seriously, to be candid with you, I doubt very seriously God would ever communicate with me through a vision. Because I probably would not know that it's a vision. With my personality being what it is, I would probably think that it was bad pizza or something. And probably it wouldn't work for me. Now, it might work for you, but it doesn't work for me. One way that God communicates with me is through creation. The Bible says in Psalm 19:1, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. I don't know why it is, but 
When I see creation, it is always to me a testimony of God. See, just like the picture the, uh, that, that you shared with us that you took. That creation, testifying of God. When I see the beauty of creation, it is a reminder to me of the Creator. And, and I'm overwhelmed by that. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 1.20, For since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. So how does God communicate with us? Sometimes it's through creation. Sometimes it's by conscience. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse number 19, "...that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them." Now, you see, in creation, God gave an external witness... We look out and we see, and God speaks to us. In our conscience, He gave an internal witness. It's just in there. We know. So God communicates with us then, sometimes through creation, sometimes through vision, sometimes through the conscience, and mostly through the Bible. That's what the Bible is. It is the Word of God. And it is foolish for us to think that, that I want to know what God thinks and never spend any time in the Word. God communicates through His Word. If our worship, however, is man-centered, or if our theology is man-centered, we don't listen. God's communicating with you, but are you listening to God? And if your theology is man-centered, then we don't listen. Look at Adam and Eve. When they were in the garden, God provided them with everything they needed. And then God gave them a warning. Don't eat of the tree over the forbidden fruit. Don't eat of that. What did they do? They ate of it. Why? Because they focused on their own desires. In fact, in Genesis chapter 3, verse number 6, listen. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, for who? For her. And that it was a delight to the eyes. Whose eyes? Her eyes. And that the tree was desirable to make one wise. Make who wise? Her. She took from its fruit and ate. Do you see that? See, she was focused on what she wanted. She, she, that looks like it's good food for me. It looks like it'll make me wise and all those things. But it was, it was, it was focused on herself. We see the same thing with the flood. Whenever God said to Noah, I'm going to judge the earth. And he warned the people about God's impending judgment, but they didn't pay any attention to it. God promised the Jews that He was going to send the Messiah, but they didn't listen to it. In John chapter 1, verse 11, it says, He came to His own, and those who were His own did not receive Him. Well, I ask the question of myself is, is our theology man-centered or God-centered? And I'm afraid that much of it is man-centered. For instance, salvation. How does the Bible tell us that we become a child of God, that we are saved? Well, the Scripture tells us that if I repent of sin, put my faith in Jesus Christ, trust Him, He saves me. That's what the Bible says. What do we believe? Well, we believe if we do good works, if I'm more good than bad, and I treat my neighbor right, and I pay my taxes, and I do those kinds of things, I go to church, clean up, all those things, then I'm going to get into heaven somehow. You see, that's a man-centered theology. It's a man-centered doctrine. The Bible says that it is by God's grace. What about our call to service? Well, the Bible says that God has called us to service. He has gifted us to serve. But what do we think? Well, I can do this with my talents, with my natural abilities. 
I'm able to do this. I don't need to be in my area of giftedness because I can do this on my own. And that is man-centered. The Bible says that we are supposed to tithe. The Scripture says the tithe is the Lord's. What do, what do we say? No, that's my money. I know, that you, I know you said you're going to pass the plate twice, but I'm not going to give either time. Because that's my money. See, that's man-centered. Call to worship. God has called us to worship corporately. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves to, together as the manner of some is. So he says that we are to come together to worship him. What do we say? What do we think? I don't need to go to church to worship. I, 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 I can worship out, you know, out there at the lake fishing. Or I, could, I can be sitting in my deer stand. I think it starts in ten days. I'm aware of that, guys. I'm going to be looking for you on Sunday because of what the Bible says, unless you have a man-centered theology. The point is, is our tendency is to focus on man rather than on God. If we have a, a God-centered theology, then we're obedient to God. Look at verse number 8. Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you, O Israel, if you would listen to me. Why do we vacillate in our obedience to God? Well, you know, we can... We, t- we talk about that, and, and, and I don't know where it is, but it, the problem is within the free will of man. God has given us a free will. Now, you know, we can discuss that and so forth and debate about that, but that's where, regardless as to where you end up on that, that is the area problem. That's where we have the problem, that man has a, a, has a free will. And if we have a God, a man-centered theology, then we disobey the Lord. That's just what we do. If our theology is man-centered, then we end up always being disobedient to the Lord. Like Simon Peter. Peter said to Jesus, Jesus, I'm going to be faithful to you. Even though everyone else turn against you, you can count on me later that evening within a few hours. He had denied the Lord. If we have a God-centered theology, then we're obedient to God. That, that was Isaiah. Isaiah, when uh, the Lord asked, who, who will go for me? Who, who can I send? And Isaiah said, Lord, here am I, send me. So we have the freedom to choose. And folks, I believe that you have the freedom to choose. I believe that God has given you a free will. The consequences, however, are established. And there are consequences that come with your choice. For instance, if you choose to obey, in verse 10, I, the Lord, am your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. God rescued them when they were obedient to Him. They were obedient as they responded to the Lord. God rescued them. So whenever we, are, whenever we obey the Lord, then we are blessed by the Lord. However, if we disobey, look at verse number 11. But my people did not listen to my voice. And Israel did not obey me. What? So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. If you choose, listen, you can choose to live your life in disobedience to God, but there are consequences to your choice. That's all I'm saying. You have the right to choose. You can choose to obey the Lord or disobey the Lord, but there are consequences both ways. And if you choose to live your life in disobedience to the Lord, then there are consequences. Proverbs one thirty and 31 says, They would not accept my counsel, 
They spurned all my reproof, so they shall eat of the fruit of their own way. God has created you with the freedom to choose, but there are consequences to your choice. And your choice is going to be determined if your theology is God-centered or man-centered. Now, we see a God-centered blessing in verse number 10. I, the Lord, am your God, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. If we obey the Lord, then we receive the blessings of the Lord. And So he says, open wide. I don't know what image comes to your mind when you read that. There are two that come to mind for me. One is when you go to the dentist. And you're sitting in that chair. I was at the dentist one time. You know, the dentists wear those little plastic masks that cover them, which is sort of strange to me that they wear that little plastic shield that covers them. I got one of them put on. I'm laying there with that on whenever he came in, and so we had to take that off. But. So I think of a dentist. You know, he comes in and says, open wide. Well, that's not going to be a blessing, so that's probably not the picture. The other picture that comes to my mind is a bird, the bird that is in a nest. with its, You've seen those little birds, and they're there with their mouths wide open, waiting for Mama to come and feed them. That probably is a better picture of what this is. But it is the Lord your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt who says, open wide. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's what God says to you. If you live a God-centered life, he says, open wide. And what will happen? He says, and I will fill it. Open wide and I will fill it. Matthew Henry wrote, there is enough in God to fill our treasuries to replenish every hungry soul, to supply all our wants, to answer all our desires, and to make us completely happy. What does God say to you if you live a God-centered life? He says, open wide, open wide, and I will fill it. Now, what will he do? Well, he says, first of all, I will subdue your enemies. Verse number 13, oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. Do you have any enemies? I'm not talking about people here. Now, there might be people, but I'm talking about, do you have anything, any adversaries, any enemies? Maybe it's a health issue, whatever it happens to be. Open wide and I will fill it. He said, I'll subdue your enemies. I'll give you the finest wheat. Verse number 16, I would feed you with the finest of the wheat. Not the chaff, not the leftovers. He said, I'll give you the finest wheat. Open wide. I will fill it. What with? The finest wheat. What else? Honey from the rock. Verse number 16, and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. Matthew Henry wrote, besides the precious products of the fruitful soil, that there might not be a barren spot in all their land, even the clefts of the rock should serve for beehives, and in them they should find honey in abundance. Normally when I travel, one of the the things that I I buy as a souvenir to bring home, I don't buy a lot of the trinkets, but I normally buy honey. Because I like to get honey, and it has different tastes and looks different and texture and all that stuff. Well, in Qumran, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, it's just a desert area. I mean, there's nothing green out there, but they have honey. I bought honey at Qumran. It's a darker honey, 
That's what God is saying. In those barren spots in your life, where it seems barren to you, I'll give you something sweet. I'll give you honey from the rock. So there are two basic worldviews. There is a man-centered worldview. And if that is your worldview, if that is the way you live your life, then that is what you're going to get, what man gives. There is a God-centered worldview. And God says that if you order your life after me, open wide, and I will bless you. I want to live a God-centered life. I want God to be the center, don't you? You can make that decision today. God, today I commit my life to you. I want you to be the center of my life. Our Father and God, we come to a time of invitation when people consider their relationship, their walk with you. I pray, Father, for those who have never made you the center of their lives, that today they would. For those who are dragging around all the burdens of their life, that they would bring them to you today. That they would open wide and, Lord, you would bless them. Save them, forgive them, change their lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir is going to sing a hymn of invitation. Your opportunity to say yes to the Lord. If you're here without Jesus, let me encourage you to commit your life to Him today. Did you do that? If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you as a part of our family. Stand with me, please, as we stand together. The choir sings as they sing. You come. I'll greet you as you do.